Welcome to The Road Less Traveled. I am your host, DB, and today, it's story time. Um, I've compiled a few of the stories that I would like to tell you guys about my jail experience. Uh, I spent a little over two years in jail. As you can imagine, I have seen quite a few things. Um, that's not even counting the stories I'm going to tell about when I was in prison. That was another two years, and I have some other stories about... Um, being sent to camp and all sorts of other stuff. But let's focus on just jail. Let us focus on the thing that really got me through, which was my sense of humor. So these stories, uh, I've told to a few people and I've gotten a majority of people to laugh. I have been uh, met with some blank stares, some people that are just blinking, uh, waiting for the punchline. And their sense of humor is just different than mine. I had to cope with an extreme situation, and I found humor in some pretty distasteful and obscene things. So maybe uh, your sense of humor is not in line with mine. Maybe you can come at this from an intellectual perspective, uh, but realize that this episode specifically is basically rated R, rated X, whatever you want to call it. It's going to be uh, obscene. It's going to be filthy. There's going to be language. Adult stuff is going to happen in this episode. So if you are the uh, weak of heart or mind or whatever, um, if it's unsavory to you, just turn it off. Uh, skip ahead. Go to the next episode. It's fine. Um, but if you're still here, here's just a sample of what the sense of humor will be like in this episode. Because I work in a public setting. I have mentioned this on previous episodes. So the people I work with, they have no idea that I'm into prison. I'm, it's like maybe one, possibly two people. And thankfully, I trust them enough with that information. Um, but my managers don't know. So I get to joke with them. They only see my personality. They see my sense of humor. Thankfully, they see my work ethic, too. Um, so they would have absolutely no idea that I've been to prison. And uh, one of my managers, um, she's an older lady, and she's from Jersey. Uh, so she's kind of got that hardened, Jersey, sarcastic, wise guy sense of humor. And uh, she, she's always complaining, like, in a really fun way. She's like, these fucking people are killing me. And I was like, no, they're not. That's your diabetes. And then she, you know, she laughs, and then we have a good time. We move on. So that is the sense of humor that you're going to find in this episode. Very black, dark, heavy kind of sense of humor. Um, and if you're still here, let's launch into the stories. Uh, let's start off with a with a soft one. This was the first uh, major thing that I encountered when I was in jail because I went through my intake process. I was sent to medical. Then I was sent to uh, my first unit, which was a level three security unit. And uh, it was open floor, open dorm, so to speak. I mean, we had to lock down during certain times. We had to basically sit on our beds, but we were not in cells. So it was open floor layout um, that had rows. Uh, rows of beds with beds on each side and they were just more or less kind of metal cot type style beds but they were not bunk beds so just so you have a visual of all this there was a small day room and by that i mean again this is one room so the day room quote unquote was really just a kind of portion of the that that room that you could have a few tables a few chairs uh, it's where we would go out to eat um, that's where we had to consume our, our food, our trays, um, and we were not allowed to bring anything back to our beds. Anyway, 
One guy during uh, free time when we were allowed to go out and be away from our bed again in this single room. I don't know what was going on. And a lot of times you do have to take into account. uh, I never knew what was happening. Like oftentimes it's very confusing. I didn't know why someone was acting the way they were. It could have been drugs. It could have been prior, like, you know, beefs between two people or rival gangs. It could have just literally been anything mental disorders. Um, Unfortunately, I did see a lot of that. Just people that were, um, either not completely there, hadn't been diagnosed properly, or weren't getting the help they needed, um, or were just so far gone because of, again, drugs or not getting that attention that they were uh, not in their right mind. So this particular individual, uh, he was more aggressive. He was just mad as fuck one day. He was just done with this shit because they told us to go lockdown. It was... An announcement came over the intercom. It said, everyone, go to your beds, lock down. The unit is on lockdown. And we would hear that time and time again. And this is the main jail. This isn't even before I got sent off to the secondary facility where we were basically permanently locked down. This is when we should have had tons of free time, more or less to decompress and just go about our day. Um, It was the exact same thing day in and day out. But everyone needs that just little bit, because if you don't have that tiny pressure release, it does build up. And this guy, he was just done. The lockdown came and he was just like, fuck that shit. I am not fucking locking down. You will you will have to fucking make me. He's like, this shit is ridiculous. Call Obama. Now, this is when Obama was in power or in the presidency. So he was just tripping. He's like, get Obama on the phone. Call him fuck this shit and the co just kind of shrugged and he's like please just go to your bed like you have to settle down don't make me tase you and the guy was like i ain't fucking locking down fuck that and so the co just kind of shrugged withdrew his uh, taser and shot that dude right in the chest with it he went locked up fell over and literally broke a table he landed on this table now this is a very muscular bound individual who got hit by this taser. This is a super solid dude. This man is probably 250 to possibly 300 pounds of just pure muscle. He locked up, turned into basically cordwood, fell over like a tree, and boom, the table exploded. And then the biggest shocker, because this is only the first few weeks I'm in jail, I'm locked down in my bed, try not to look because they're yelling, look away. Or it's just the one CO by this point. But he's like, look away, everyone on your beds. But the guy stands up, rips the taser prongs out of his chest, rips his shirt off over his head and says, fucking make me sit down. And the guy, the uh, the cop, he just, he, would, uh, he recharged his taser because I think they got two shots. So he basically flicked it onto the secondary fire hit that guy right in the chest again. And by then, like seven to eight different COs, the CERT team flew in, just subdued this man. Um, They bound him to a chair or what's otherwise known as the chair. And it's for people that are, uh, you know, getting a little riled up. And they uh, forcibly put you in this chair and you are strapped down and restrained in this restraining chair. Uh, Super uncomfortable. I've seen multiple people get put into that. I've seen people break their arms or limbs being put into this thing because it is super uncomfortable in the angle at which they get locked into this thing. Like if they're fighting back. uh, Yeah, it's I mean, bones are not super strong. They're bones since they break a lot easier than most people think. So. Uh, I've seen a couple people fracture uh, their arms by being 
either subdued or also tried to fight back. So that was my first couple weeks. It was like the first couple weeks right after medical. I was like, oh, wow, this is what happens when something like goes down, so to speak. So uh, it was just it was the conversation of the day. It broke up the monotony. Because again, we have absolutely nothing in there. Every single day is the exact same. So to see something like that, it it was a conversation piece. And maybe it's not that funny to people. It, maybe it's more disturbing than anything. I don't know. I mean, it, it probably should be. Um, but you got to keep in mind the sense of humor of people around you. The mindset of people around you. I had to go to court multiple times, like not multiple times. I mean, dozens upon dozens of times I had to go to court where absolutely nothing happened. I would have a 10 to 12 hour day of just sheer exhaustion being dragged through all these horrendous conditions to say, oh, we'll see you in five months. No progress, no update, nothing. Calendar call. We'll see you later. And a lot of people are going through that. The legal system moves super slow. You might work at your day job and realize like, man, this company, you know, it won't fix the light that's flickering. They won't update the thing that we need every single day that's broken, you know, or the part that we're missing or whatever. It's back ordered or we'll get to it eventually. Like every company has that. Now, when you deal with people, though, directly, like your product technically is people. Because if there were no criminals, all police would be out of jobs, right? So what they, basically what they um, deal with, their bottom line is people. Like they have to have X amount of tickets or X amount of arrests in order to sustain a business. It is a business at the end of the day. We're still trying to serve and protect, but these people also have to bring in revenue to pay for those things because tax doesn't cover all those things, surprisingly. So the mindset of the inmate is already, one, a little jaded, two, just a little different because we, we have, we're behind this, this curtain where you don't see us anymore. We're behind bars with these like conditions that would be shocking to most people. Um, so during one of my uh, wonderful transports to court, I was in a holding cell um, early in the morning. This is like 7 a.m. Uh, there's almost standing room only in this place. Like I can't find a bench because there's so many people in here. So I'm just standing and there's only one toilet. And yes, people have to use that toilet. There's sometimes one single roll of toilet paper for 30, 40 people or more. And they move us right after breakfast. They give us breakfast and then immediately we have to load up for transport. So oftentimes people have to use the bathroom. Now, everyone had to use the bathroom that day. The, the cell smelled just fucking horrible. And wouldn't you believe it? After the last flush, after this dude just went, the toilet starts overflowing. It's not even just overflowing from the top. It's overflowing from like the bottom, from like the seam where the concrete and the toilet meet. It's supposed to be this stainless steel thing, but now it's just this bubbling kind of viscous liquid that I just, it, it brings back nightmares. It's just horrible. Imagine venom trying to like come out of the ground. That's more or less what is happening. And 
it was like we were there's 30 plus of us now with this horrible smell and we're all almost about to throw up like we are just getting each other sick at this point people are banging on the windows and the door the only ceo that could hear us is yelling shut up stop banging on the wall people are trying to scream underneath the door to yell hey the toilet's overflowing like you have to get us out now I'll just fast forward because they do nothing about this. We never get out of this cell. The toilet is never fixed. We are never moved. Like eventually I just got to go to my court hearing, but they just kept closing the door on everyone. Wouldn't let anyone out. Whoever they called by name, that was the person that got to go. Nothing was done. And the only thing for some odd reason that got us through was one random guy in that group said, oh my God, this motherfucker be looking like the T-1000. And it just cracked everybody at the exact same time like we didn't have to throw up anymore we were laughing we for some reason found solidarity in what was a perfectly timed and terribly accurate joke so we just we just had okay this is it this is this is what we have to do <laughs> like we this we cannot stop this we cannot fix this so we will deal with this with extreme humor and that was kind of telling because that was maybe only a few months in and that just kind of became the common theme for me. It was find hilarity in the extreme. Find something to latch onto, even if it's just one tiny thing every single day, or if it's even one small thing in that moment. Now, that's not to say anything about the smaller stories. There's dozens of smaller moment-to-moment -moment stories that I wish I could remember and share. These are only the ones that I can recall. Because there's other times. When it was free time, for example, I got to use the phone. I got to call people that I cared about, like my girlfriend at the time, my aunt, who was alive at the time, my friends, cousins, family, people pen pals eventually like i i got to talk to somebody and it was only 15 minute calls it was very expensive because i think at jail it was about 20 20 cents a minute they increased the price um i think it was originally like 11 or something they upped it uh, once i got to actual prison it was cheaper but jail my god the it was just so expensive i can only i, I should actually go back and calculate how much money was spent on just food and also the phone thousands of dollars were spent on the phone. I can easily say that because I know I drained one bank account to pay for both a lawyer and my phone and my commissary. When that money was up, my family was kind enough to help me supplement me in ways that I just don't think I can ever repay. Cause I mean, it's beyond financial money is whatever, but the love and support that they gave me uh, was everything. Same with my friends. Same with the strangers, pen pals that I got to meet through this insane situation. Like, I can never repay that, so I just thank you guys. Um, but like I said, that's not to say anything of the smaller stories. Like, when I was on the phone, people overhear you. They see you. People are observant. Someone went in my, uh, when I first got to the new facility, they... Um, said that they would help me look over my paperwork just to see if they could find any inconsistencies. They stole my social security number. They gave it to their friends on the streets. And I had a identity fraud pretty much from the second I got that. 
until about four months after I got released and then still recurring. I've more or less got it locked down, but it has taken years to undo that. Things you wouldn't think about. Didn't know what he was incarcerated for. Turns out he's a thief. Go figure. Remember that dude's name. I remember his stupid face too. Because he took me into his confidence. I thought we were cool. And then I straight up like, what the fuck? My girlfriend said uh, at the time said that she was starting to get a uh, credit card and like offers and like a card had just been open and things that weren't adding up. And I was like, the only person I showed my paperwork to that could possibly do this was this guy. And I confronted him. He said, yeah, I did it. He's like, I sold your information. I mean, that's what I do. He didn't give a fuck. So one time I was on the phone, unrelated to this, but I was on the phone. I was talking to, uh, I believe it was my aunt. It wasn't very important. It was whichever person I was talking to, it was a heavy conversation. It was a conversation along the lines of, I, I, there's nothing I can do. I can't get home. I want to, and I, I want to figure this out, and I want to be there, and I just, I can't do it. So I was, you know, sobbing my heart out. Finally, finally, the emotions got to me because in prison you and in jail, you, you can't cry. You cannot cry. You can't show it. Everyone is going through the same fucking thing for some reason, but you can't, you just, you can't show it. You can't show what they think is weakness. So you cry in the shower, you cry um, under your blanket. Or you just cry inside, but you don't show it because uh, I, you know, I finally broke down. I was sobbing on the phone. I couldn't control myself. And the guy next to me, I can hear him saying, there's some fucking bitch next to me crying. And I, I mean, that made me cry harder. It was like, I am in one of the lowest points in my life and I can't even get the people that actually care and can console me here like it's just a phone call or it's a video visit i can't get a hug if they even came to see me because they can only see me through a tv screen and so yeah that made me cry a little harder but the guy to my right who i, I turned away from the left i was trying to i mean hide myself as much as i could but the cord for this fucking payphone is like one foot long you can't go anywhere and it's five phones in a row and then there, technically there was a six phone, which was a blue phone. And that's whenever, uh, excuse me, whenever a lawyer would call in, it was basically the house phone. It was a way for public defenders and lawyers to have a direct line to inmates and whoever's closest to the phone would answer it and they would yell out for the inmate anyway. But the guy to my right, his name was Elias and that was a nickname, I believe. Tatted up guy, he, like big dude, strong man, like looked like a hardened criminal type, like blasted with tattoos, head to foot. And not someone I'd ever talked to, not someone I actually wanted to approach because he had an intimidating, um, you know, visage to him. You just, the whole thing was, it screamed intimidation. It, it seemed standoffish. And I don't know where he got a tissue from, but he pulled it out of, I think, his pocket or breast pocket or somewhere. But he just said, here you go. He's like, it's okay. And him and I ended up talking from there because I was able to calm down. And then after that phone call, I got off. 
And I just kind of sat miserable at a table, and he approached me, and we, we talked. He wished me well. He said that he had done some pretty bad things, and that he deserved to be where he was at, but he knew that one day he would hopefully be back, and that all he was going to try and do was be better. And I never asked him what he did because it didn't, to me, matter. It was the kindness in that moment that mattered because it helped me and it stuck with me. Like this guy, I have no idea where he's at in this today. He may still be incarcerated. He may not be with us anymore. But I know what he did then helped me now. So thank you wherever you are. And there's a lot of little things like that, that it would, you know, we read the news and it's always the sensational things. It's always the mass shootings or the explosion or car accident that took X amount of lives or what have you. But we don't get to hear all the stuff that either doesn't happen all the times nothing goes on or all the times that a good thing happens or that a not bad thing happens like we we don't see those things we don't hear those things and they're all around us all the time but you know those aren't very exciting things so there i believe are way more good stories than bad even though i was in a pretty dark place so i still have a pretty i think positive outlook on that having said that um i did get to see some stuff that just was wildly inconsistent. Like, it was insane. One time, there was a shakedown. They basically kicked open the door, said, everybody, um, stay on your beds, face the wall. They strobe-lighted us because they wanted to get everyone off balance. They didn't want anyone throwing away potentially drugs or weapons or hiding stuff. Um, and that's fine. You know, do, do your thing, whatever. I get it. You got to do raids or shakedowns. You got to, you know, make sure everything's in line. That's fine. But what really caught me off guard was when they were screaming at one of the guys who I won't mention by name, um, because he didn't go by an alias. He just he was another DUIer uh, who, unfortunately, he was in because he should not have been driving at the time. He was uh, someone who suffered from seizures and he was medicated for seizures, but and did not have a license. So he was still driving at the time and was uh, using a from what he said and what I read in his um, discovery that he had a therapeutic range of Xanax, but he was still because of that um, considered intoxicated or a DUI and he did kill somebody. He had a seizure while he was driving and he rear ended somebody. And that's a discussion for a different time um, that goes into what's known as approximate cause. That is a legal definition, different episode. We'll talk about it later, but I told him like, Hey man, you, this should never have happened. You shouldn't have been driving. So I get it. I agree with the state. And he didn't see it that way. He kind of felt like he got the bad end of the deal, even though he was alive and another person was not. But during the shakedown, they hit us with a strobe light. He has seizures. He was prone to seizures. He had epilepsy on top of that. So he goes into a full seizure and he's flopping on the ground like a fish. And they're screaming at him, get back on your bed, get back on your bed. And he's, he can't do anything. He's like starting to foam a little bit. And they still are fucking yelling at this guy. And everyone, including myself, we're all yelling back like, hey, he's got, he's got seizures. Like he cannot do anything. And finally, like a different CO had to like interrupt this guy who was, I don't know, just strong headed or doing whatever. So 
they they got him medical attention, but it was just so insane to see like the disconnect. Like this man is clearly going through a seizure or is not well. Like, why are you yelling at this man? How are you not? I don't know. How do you not get it? Like, I don't understand what you do not understand. Like, this dude is fucking seizing. <laughs> like, help. Hit up your radio. Say help. If you don't understand it, just call somebody else. Call medical. But it was like a full two minutes of, like, yelling. Because uh, I think, like, an eight-man team comes in. And there's, like, 72 of us. And it's, a, again, a two. Uh, this is the other facility. So, this is a two-story uh, facility so you got like four guys that go up four guys that go down so everyone is divided everyone's segmented so i i do understand that everyone's like high tension everyone's trying to keep an eye on a large amount of people at the same time but it kind of just reminds me of like it's just poor training or lack of training and so um that's just a side note uh thankfully uh he did get uh some help from there so, I only have a few few more stories, a few little ones. Um, I got to go to a contact visit for my lawyer one time. They do movements for that where they f- do full body inspections on you. On my way there, uh, I saw a girl, another inmate. She was going into labor, giving birth right there in the hallway with a CO just standing over. Holy shit. I would never have even thought of something like that. That's terrible. That's a story that like kind of plays with my mind still when I think about it, like, wow, that, that happened. Like there's a child out there now or whatever, who's lost in the system possibly, or hopefully ideally reunited with that parent. And everyone just had a wonderful Disney moment where we all learned a valuable lesson and she stopped fucking up or just did better to where she did not come back. Cause I don't know her circumstance. I don't know why she's there. But, oh my God, think of that kid. Like, what an insane experience. What a crazy life. No choice in the matter. Here you go. Let's just send some life your way. That one kind of stuck with me. That was a weird one. Now, oof. So, I I got two more stories. And this will probably kick us over to like 35 minutes. But um, this, this next one... Uh, there will be language, uh, for lack of a better way of putting this. And I have to tell this this way because it shows not only just the diversity, but also like the undercurrent of things that are going on. There's a lot of surface level stuff where everyone's like kind of okay because we're all inmates and we're all like, you know, in the same boat in a strange way. And oddly, a lot of people like automatically ascribe that sentiment to you. Like, I didn't feel that way. I'm a DUIer who fucked up. I made my mistake. I did my thing and I hurt someone. And I am not here with you guys, however. I did not partake in this crime. I'm not, I'm not a criminal per se. Like, there's a difference they say between a difference between a convict and a criminal or a convict and an inmate. Because one is a career type mindset, and then one is you just broke the law. You either erred or you know made a mistake or just had bad judgment or just went down a bad path. But that's not to say that it was all intentional or 
what have you. So they, the convicts, they make a very clear distinction between that. However, they also still ascribe that you are there, you are with them on everything because you are also incarcerated. So they make that divide for you. COs are COs, they are on their side, and then you are with the inmate side. So things that happen, that's just kind of like is what it is. However, the undercurrent plays into race very heavily. Gangs, super heavy. Like after race, it's gangs. Where do you come from? That is going to be the main thing. And then it's going to be who you know and what you've done. After that, if you don't fulfill the first few, like in a way, like if you don't ascribe to race, if you're not with it, so to speak, like you're not for uh, whichever like white power or even black power. I mean, they have so many different gangs where it's just like it creates so much division. And I've had this discussion with actual gangsters because I was like, guys, you know, they like if you want to create a they or us versus them or whatever they if you think there is a they quote unquote they want this division because the division is what keeps us apart it keeps us busy it keeps kind of everyone subdued it keeps everyone attacking each other at least or you know kind of just making that wave back and forth like who's in power it just keeps shifting back and forth when if you guys were all on the same page, if everyone just, you know, teamed up here, all inmates versus all COs or the prison system or whatever, you'd realize that you have the overwhelming majority. You have the numbers. You actually could probably do something about this. And I'm not saying escape. I'm not saying attack. I'm not saying like go on the offense or anything like that. I'm saying there there is strength in numbers for positive change. Like I have seen inmates go on hunger strikes and actually get positive change within their system. And it's not even just exclusive to the prisons that I've been in. There are stories from across the country where like inmates have had it. They're just fed up. And so they have staged uh, hunger strikes they've staged certain things where they were trying to get either attention from the media or just some sort of recognition to affect change so i've seen that i've seen the positive side of things i've also seen i thankfully haven't been a part of a riot that would have been absolutely insane uh, but i read about them and they like in my state or in my prison like i missed um thankfully one riot uh that happened a few months after i got to camp it happened at the prison that I was at. I, I guess it was just awful. So I was fortunate. I wasn't directly involved in anything that got out of control. But it could have. Just like this next story that I, that I said I was going to tell like five minutes ago. So we're going to hit probably 40 minutes on this episode, guys. Bear with me. Just listen to it in two parts. So this one, um, I will give this guy's name. So I in my cube... In this, the second jail that I was at, um, we we had what were known as cubes, more or less. They had four bunk beds, uh, except for two cubes only had two bunk beds. And those were the ones that you wanted to be in because it was less people to deal with, less people like in your immediate area. And so there was less um, friction, I would say, because if you got a certain amount of people 
that say, for example, we're either polar opposites in either personality or even like we're disrespectful because of either lack of hygiene or whatever. Like I met the filthiest people that you can ever imagine. A lot of people that either didn't know a better way or didn't care. And they would, uh, yeah, they would. I'm getting some flashbacks right now, like just nasty stuff, just horribly disgusting things. So in this cube, it was, uh, you know, diverse. We had, I think, one or two black guys. We had uh, one or two white guys. We had a guy from Afghanistan. We had, um, I don't know, I think we had like an Italian guy. We had a Paisa or a Mexican dude. Um, And to me, none of that shit matters. Do not care. It's like just whatever, because I have had many bunkies Uh, or bunk mates or whatever you want to call them uh predominantly like it was uh for me either black or mexican i had some white guys but it doesn't matter to me like i was just very surface level respectful you know we're here we will get through this that's it uh and so that mentality got me through i was able to make surface level acquaintances where we are cool and then that's it So I was friends or service level with this one dude named Lucky and the, he was black and that was just his nickname. He just went by Lucky and the other guy, the guy from Afghanistan, he went by the name of Rostam and come to find out that's an alias because that is not his name. Rostam is a famous warrior poet in Afghanistan. And I started like picking up that there was something like super off about this dude because Like, he seemed quite normal, although he would speak with a thick uh, Middle Eastern accent. And he started saying a lot of stuff that just didn't add up because he was so proud of Afghanistan. Like, like post 9-11 after the attack proud. I mean, that's pretty horrible to say, but that's exactly how he was. And he started, like, claiming stuff that just never happened. Like, he said that... Afghanistan had it invented and used the cannonball or like they were such a proud warrior nation that they made this, uh, you know, destructive weapon, which it's so hard to look up shit because you can just make up stuff all day long when you're in jail. There's no fucking internet. There's no phones. I mean, some people have them, but jail, not so much prison. Yes. So it's like, how do we correct this dude? I didn't know or care enough uh but this so finally i started writing some of those things down because it was like what this just doesn't make sense now he said that his country is responsible for inventing the microchip that can't be true afghanistan microchip no there's no way so i just started like writing down a bunch of things that he would say and i asked my aunt at the time or i mean she's still my aunt but whatever i asked her hey can you look up these things she got back to me said all that shit's not true except for the cannonball thing Turns out they did uh, use uh, the cannonball in war for the first time. So that part's true. They got the gunpowder from the Chinese, um, who were using it for fireworks at the time. Then and Afghanistan used it to make the cannonball and used it in war for the first time. So cool. He was somewhat right on that. All the other stuff was absolute bullshit. And it just came up in a in discussion because like Lucky and I, you know, we, we would try to have intellectual conversations. We would try to pass the time. So we would quiz each other on certain things like memory recall games. He actually ended up teaching me both American Sign Language and uh, California Prison Sign Language, uh, which is slightly different, but close. So 
um, you know, I established this rapport to like pass the time. And we, I told him like, hey, you know, Rostam, he's a little off. And that was Lucky's Bunky. And he's like, yeah, Rostam's like, I don't know. He's just not all there because he keeps like, you know, kind of antagonizing Lucky. He keeps just like, he's not on the same page because Lucky he'd done time before and everyone tries to maintain their area, keep a clean, nice space because that's all they have. That's all we got is just our tiny little area. So Lucky's thing was, Hey, you know, we will clean, we'll keep it good, etc. We'll just get along. Rostam was having none of that. And I guess there was more friction going on than I realized, even though I live with these people, we were in the same cube. So it got to a point where it was just so bad that they're like, Lucky said, dude, just roll up. Go to a different unit if you hate me that much. And Rostam, like, completely flipped. He's like, no, I don't want to leave. It's okay. So I go on the phone. It's free time. I'm going to call my aunt. I'm going to talk on the phone. We're talking about whatever. Uh, Not even really sure. Just passing the time. And Lucky's next to me. And he's making his phone call. He's trying to call, I think, a girlfriend, a mom. Somebody doesn't matter. And the last thing I remember, as I look at Lucky, I smile and say something. And then I turn to my left because, you know, I'm trying to have a slightly private conversation. So I'm just kind of huddled in myself and I feel a whoosh of air like flip behind my hair. And I turn and Lucky's on the ground and Rostam is stepping on his face, like stomping on it, yelling, you fucking nigga, you have to die, nigga. And well, there's the language for you. So I just, I, I don't know. I, maybe I'm desensitized at this point. This is like a year and a half in. I just like calmly tell my aunt, listen, I got to go. Someone's fighting right next to me. We're probably going to go on lockdown. I'll call you when I can. Might be a few days. And I just hang up and calmly walk back to my bed. Now, Lucky's still getting attacked. Here's the thing. Why didn't I help? One, I'm not of that race. I know that sounds fucked up, but guys, I'm sorry. That's just how prison works. I could have helped. I probably should have helped. But by helping, I may have actually really, really either hurt Lucky in a strange way because now all the blacks think he's a bitch and can be taken advantage of because he's getting saved by a white boy. Or or the white people now hate me because I just saved a black guy. Maybe the guys that are Aryan warriors, um, not outlaw Nazi skinheads, any sort of fucking whatever white gang they got going on. Maybe now they hate me because I just helped somebody that isn't of our own color. And it was disgusting to have to think that way, but that's how I had to think. I actually had to make in the moment very hard decisions because it went counter to who I am. I've got, I'm adopted. So like I'm, I do have some Hispanic in me. I actually um, look a little darker. Um, depends on the time of the year. Um, but I've, I've got a family member who's um, black. He's got, you know, other <laughs> darker complected, uh, I guess, races within himself, but whatever. Like I, I just, I don't know, man. <laughs> That one's hard for me because it's like, what if that was my cousin? I I just like what I'm turning my back on somebody like that. The story does end. Thankfully, good. Another person swooped in. It was actually like a 64 year old dude. 
his name he went by mac um tall black dude swept from behind he just grabbed roast him, just wrapped him up and just picked him up and just held him that was it didn't fight him didn't try to do anything beyond that the co showed up and they cuffed him up like everything was cool lucky was fucked up lucky had to go Lucky had to go to medical he was gone so it was insane that story to me at first was like slightly funny but it's not um and i'm actually gonna have to stop here i think i got a few other stories that i never finished um so i guess i'll wrap up the the visual i never saw what happened but Everyone else told me what did. So when we were locked down and they had rolled up Lucky's stuff, I was like, dude, what the fuck even happened? And they said that Rostam, out of nowhere, was just sitting in our cube on the bed, just sitting there. And he saw Lucky on the phone. And apparently he just went in a full sprint, jumped off of one of the metal chairs that is concreted to the floor, so immovable. He launched off of that into a flying kick and hit Lucky in the back of the head right next to me, perfectly aimed. And then we know the rest because he stomped him out. So, what? (laughs) Apparently, he's really good at karate, and he's an incredible racist. I will have to jump off here, guys. This is unfortunately the longest episode. I'm so sorry that I went over. Uh, I hope you found some humor. I hope you're not just sitting there in shock thinking, oh my God, what is wrong with this guy? And I hope you join me for next time because I will finish up with some more stories. Maybe I'll make it only 20 minutes, but tune in next time to The Road Less Traveled. I'm your host, DB, and once again, thank you for tuning in.